This episode of The Bag Drop, Untold Stories in Golf, is brought to you by New Club Golf Society, a humble community of golfers connected by our love for the game. Follow us on social media with the handle New Club Golf. Welcome back. I'm Matt Considine. In our last season of The Bag Drop, we uncovered the untold stories from the PGA pros, superintendents, architects, and operators who make it possible for us to play the game we all love. To kick off our new season, we turn the mic to our members and ambassadors to show you how the community itself might be the best part of golf. Troy Newport, thanks for joining us on The Bag Drop this morning. Thanks for having me. It'll be fun. This will be fun. Uh, you had uh, an event yesterday at your facility out there at Cog Hill that many of our members actually participated in. How did the, uh, how'd the Barstool Classic go with those, uh, those folks out there yesterday? It was great. We were very fortunate to have it. Uh, they were originally scheduled at another local golf course that just couldn't provide some of the things that they needed because of COVID time. So they did switch to us kind of late in the stream. Uh, they got great sign up. Uh, I was mentioning to you before beforehand, the demographic for us is really good. Uh, a lot of, a lot of young guys who are really into the game of golf. Uh, Riggs was out here talking to everybody. Um, and they were great about sharing stuff on social media, which for us has been a new push this year. Uh, we hired somebody as a marketing coordinator here internally, and she's doing a great job of, uh, of getting us out on the social media channels too. So they, they had a lot of chatter and it was all really positive. Uh, so it was really our first kind of uh, event of that type for the year. And they did tea times. They couldn't do shotgun start. But, um, but it, it went off really well. They had great weather and the, the golf courses were really in good condition. Uh, I don't know Riggs personally, but obviously I follow him on the social medias. Um, he seems to think very highly of his game. How did he fare on, on dubs? Did that humble him a little bit? Well, to, to his credit, he did not play. So, <laughs> okay. so uh, yeah, so I think he played a lot at Pinehurst. Maybe he played too much and maybe golfed himself out. But he said he had to work when I talked to him. Um, so basically, you know, so basically he, uh, he kind of hung around and, and, and um, uh, socialized with people and everybody wanted to talk to him. And we got a chance to chat with him for a few minutes. And so it was great to have him here. He did not get a chance to play. Uh, but a lot of the guys that he that he knew well played, and and uh, they said the golf course is is what you would imagine. It's pretty pretty challenging. They they always mention the bunkers. Uh, bunkers are deep and very challenging around the uh, green side. So, uh, but the golf course are like I said before, really good shape uh, right now. So they they had a uh, should have been a really good experience for them. Nice. We have our first events of the year coming up. Actually, in in July, we've postponed most of them. Um, I'm curious from operations point you know when you have an event like that or any other coming in uh to the facility right now um how, how have things changed you know we're in phase four of the reopening for the state but how has how has your job changed and, and as you approach um you know events and and larger uh functions you know how, how is your guys job and responsibilities how are they different now well, we always feel like we're pretty adaptable, but we had to just literally become, you know, day-to-day -day adaptable and really different in, in our business. And the golf business, as you well know, Matt, is, a, is not always the quickest to change sometimes to things. Um, but we, we've learned some things, to say the least. But um, I think 
that for me, I, I joked yesterday with somebody that the golf guidelines that come out from the DCEO, they're imprinted on the back of my glasses. Um, I see, I see those things all the time. Uh, we, but now the, you know, what early on, it was really difficult with twosomes and, uh, and 15 minute tea times. And it was really disruptive to our normal business plan. And, and but the biggest thing for us right now is we are not only a 72 hole public golf facility, but we also do a lot of after golf events and we do a ton of wedding receptions and we have not been able to get to that business yet. And so it's going to be a big change for Coghill. We're going to find ways to do business and to get ourselves through 2020, but it's a, it's definitely a challenge. Um, but the great part is the golf courses are here. They've been maintained really well. Uh, that core part of our business and the driving range is reopened, which for us is a really big deal. Uh, we put Top Tracer in last November, and it's been really, really successful. We're having a really huge month in June uh, at the driving range. So, you know, like everybody else right now, there's some good and there's some not so good. Have you seen demand up for golf? I, I, I never really crossed my mind in March that, that we would see such demand. I know on our end, um, you know, we can't have enough tee times available. Everybody has that, that itch to get outside. Are you guys seeing the same? Yeah, obviously at that point we were limited to how many people we could put out. So we were totally full all, almost all the time. Uh, but we're still seeing that demand. And that's a lot of people in the industry are, are talking about that. We're still seeing people want to get out. We, we wonder how much it's a, um, um, a factor of there's not too many other things for people can, that they can do right now. And the kids are not involved in activities and as much as before. So I think there's some of those things that are to do with it. But also, if you've been cooped up for a long time and you have an opportunity to get out and do something outside, uh, I think that was the big push. Yeah, when you reduce competition uh, of, of other things going on, certainly right. rounds can go up. But, uh, but I think you're right. I, I hope it's, it has more of a lasting effect on you know, reminding people what golf can provide from getting outside, enjoying a walk, enjoying the company of folks. It's, it's one of those rare activities. Uh, is this the year? Yeah. So, so I know you haven't been at Cog Hill in the general manager role for all too long. This is probably not the first year that you imagined it would be. Um, but what, what, when you, sh when you show what's your, um, I know you, you're, you're probably very focused on, you know, getting through this time. That's been very different. And like you said, adapting on a daily basis, but I think many of our listeners are going to be very familiar with Cog Hill. And I, I'd love to hear from you, Troy, what some of the visions of both the Jemsic family and yourself uh, as you get beyond this, this wave of um, you know, the new, the new norm is, is there things that you guys want to adapt and, and embrace at Cog Hill that's already happening maybe, or things that you have on your roadmap? Yeah. I mean, I think, and there are, and it's kind of an, it's an uh, interesting and unusual situation. I mean, we, as you mentioned, the Jemsic family, we have owners, I have two owners, uh, uh, Frank Jemzik, his daughter, Catherine, who I report to directly, she's the president of, of Coghill. Uh, and they're here in my office every day. So they're not absentee owners. They're here, they're here engaged in the business. They have two other facilities that they, that they um, own slash manage. And so uh, Catherine's a busy person, uh, but we talk all the time about uh, what they've done well in the past, which is grow the game initiatives and junior golf and having instruction available here and all the things that you would want a golf facility to do that I'm not, that I can't take credit for, but they, they have done a great job of, of trying to fill um, the ranks of golfers coming forward. Uh, that's something they've done really well. Uh, on a traditional golf course sense, 
they, you know, some of the technology and things like that, they hadn't embraced as much. It wasn't probably uh, because they, they didn't want to, they just didn't have somebody to kind of be the catalyst for that. So I felt like that was part of what I needed to do. We, we instituted dynamic pricing last year and top tracer trying to do some things with cart tracking and, and things that are, that are available now to golf industry um, businesses that we need to use that helps us um, connect with the new demographic and, and younger golfers, but also helps us run our business better. So there's a, that's a big vision for us. In addition to just looking further down the road and being part of Palos Park now, they want to do some things from a development standpoint. And we, Coghill's always wanted to be a part of that conversation. You know, how do we get, is there a hotel? Is there that, something, that kind of thing? Further down the road, not immediate, but those kind of things that are possible to, uh, to help us bring visitors to Dubsdred specifically because people want to play that golf course and they come from out of town to play that golf course and uh, they have to stay pretty far away now. So those are kind of things that we talk about that, that I think are further down the road visions. For the, the Chicagoland golfer, when, when they hear Cog Hill, what do you think comes to their mind first? Uh, the Western Open, you know, back in the back in the Western Open days, you know, back before the BMW Championship, actually, because there were a few years of that held here as well. Um, I try to uh, being a new guy and trying to explain to my people and people who haven't been here that um, I'm from Indiana, so I'm, I grew up not too far away from here, and I knew the Cog Hill name. Um, but it's easy to explain to people. Tiger won five times here. That's a good way to just kind of get start the conversation off, right? <laughs> um, but there are a lot of great names that that played here. And, and you hear the people here still speak so fondly about when the Western was held here. More so, it was July 4th weekend. People came out here. They had a hot dog. They had a pork chop on Pork Chop Hill. They walked out here with their kids. There was good parking. The golf course was awesome. You know, that's all stuff that, that you hear a lot about still. And to me, that's, that's kind of the, the meat potatoes of what people think of when they think of Cog Hill, I believe. I, I I would agree from my perspective. I was raised, born and raised in Ohio, but uh, moved here in 2008. And so it was the heart of the BMW championship. So I went out, had a couple pork chop sandwiches on pork chop Hill, <laughs> which I can still, I can still smell those sandwiches when I play there. <laughs> the Absolutely. Up from, I thought that was always so cool, but, um, yeah. but it always was synonymous with me uh, with those tournaments. And actually one, one memory was, was it, didn't Matt Kuchar? When the uh, was it an amateur or public? amateur? Yeah, the yeah, U.S. amateur. Yeah. yeah, won the U.S. amateur, got in the Masters, and went on the world stage. So that actually, yeah. and that was '97, I believe, which was the peak of you know Tiger winning that year and um, golf just going crazy for for my generation. And uh, so I actually always thought of Matt Kuchar when when I when I finally moved. I go, I got to go play that place that Cooch won the the amateur. Um, but it was always synonymous with me with the world's best with very challenging golf. And then I'd, I'd play dubs probably once a year uh, through that stretch. And it was challenging and it was those deep bunkers and it was quite an experience. But <laughs> yeah. the thing, the thing that I always missed until only a couple of years ago, frankly, as, as embarrassing as that is to, to, uh, to say is the other golf courses and specifically right. number two ravines, I think is one of the, the top, my, my, my favorite when it's all around experience you know, maybe not the most challenging in the ballpark of other golf courses, but I think it's the, the most enjoyable you guys got. I, I mean, I think it's a beautiful golf course. And we just this, this year are kind of refocusing our efforts to take some photography out there. 
and get some shots of, and show people what the golf course really looks like. Because as you know, it's a, it starts off with a couple, two really straightforward little golf holes and it kind of lulls you to sleep. Like you're, Oh, this is going to be an Illinois golf course, right? It's going to be pretty flat. There's not gonna be a whole lot of features. And then you get into that piece of property where number three starts. And, and then on the back nine, there's some, there's some really pretty um, elevation changes and some really pretty golf holes out there. Uh, and we, we have people who would tell you that that have access to all four courses that they'd rather play ravines. Um, and so that's, you know, probably because the difficulty is, is, is tough for them on dubs. They're both very pretty golf courses. Um, and then on that note, we have two other courses of one and three, everything is kind of numbered chronologically here. So number one was first and four was last. Um, but those three, those two golf courses, one and three, which are on the same side of the road, um, th- there's some really pretty golf co- golf holes on those courses as well. And the quality of turf uh, in the fairways and the co- quality of play on those courses is really good for the price point. So it was part of the, my excitement for coming here. I kind of knew doing some research that there's a uh, there's golf for everybody, and there's some really pretty sites you wouldn't think you're in Illinois when you're out there. So, and I love the there's the the, the well, I think one and two were built in the twenties and then you got three and four built in the sixties. So you definitely have that contrast of, uh, of golf. I mean, they're, they're totally different in, in my eyes. Right. For your architects and your audience. I mean, you have push up greens on, on one and three, which were all the old way of building greens. You, you just pushed up some dirt and you, and you planted grass there. Uh, but some of the, the green surrounds are still very attractive. The, the, the old time architects knew how to do that knew how to make it look nice. And then you have the more modern green surrounds on two and four, the things that look what, like what people would expect to see uh, playing golf courses that were built you know, after the nineties or something like that. So, um, but a lot of variety, it's a, it, you know, and, and I'm, you know, self-serving, but I can tell you, I'm not, I'm the new guy and it's just a really, it's a really cool feel. I love public golf too. And so there's a lot of things that, that Cog Hill still has going for it. Yeah. When I, when I, talked to you uh a few months back i could just tell you have this passion for public golf and and that's probably what's landed you at the the granddaddy of public golf which is cog hill golf club um you know you even just said that this is a place where there's something for everybody um can you maybe talk a little bit about what what you got what the position of you know the joe jemsic is such a uh, a chicago legend in the game of golf and um patriarch of of public golf but how has their you know influence um stemmed down to to the the culture of of cog hill because you go out and you do see you see kids you see golfers of every single ability you see uh four different golf courses you know what what is it um about your guys culture that that really just uh ingrains that public feel and that that uh place for everyone well, I mean, in a short answer, it's uh, it's the gem six. But you know, Joe obviously uh, had a a love for the game of golf. He was a a true character in the sense of old golf professionals. He was a PGA professional, good player, good card player. Um, I hear all these stories from his son Frank, who's I'm lucky enough to have Frank come in, sit down, and tell stories. And Frank's 79 years old now, and um, and and. Frank will tell me, you know, any story I want to hear, which I want to hear all of them about, about the gem six. And, and so that started out where Joe gave people the feeling that he cared about that they came to his property. Uh, and there's these signs where it says, thanks for playing Joe gem That was his thing. When he, when you finished the golf course later in his life, he would be there 
just, just thank you, literally. And Frank has gone even a step further. He's out there on the first tee for a lot of our permanent tee time and regular players on the weekend. And he does a rotation where he starts out on course one, two, three, and he hits everybody with a chance to talk with them. And to me, that's the culture. That's the real um, thing that, that the Gem Six have brought. Besides that, you know, private type facilities at a daily fee, that's what Joe always had a vision for. But I think more importantly, just the, the respect and the care for their customers, you can feel that here. You always, as a manager, want your staff to have that. Um, but it comes from the top. And if your ownership doesn't have it, it's hard to instill it in everybody else. And, you know, you just need to spend a little time with Frank Jemsik and his, and his daughter, Catherine, and the other rest of the family to understand that they deeply care about their customers. And that, that makes all the difference, I think. You don't see that too often where owner of facilities are standing on the you know, 18th green saying thanks to folks. That's, uh, that's pretty cool. Uh, I've been in the business 30 some years. I've never seen it. It's something where I've had owners that wanted to avoid that at all costs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. right I got to um, talk to my customers. What's that? <laughs> yeah. But, but in this case, it is not an avoidance. It is a, you know, almost to a fault in some ways of, of doing business. They would rather, they really want to cater to the customer. And so, you know, it's still something we, we make every effort to do and still trying to do, you know, business the right way for the company too. So it's, um, um, but I, I totally respect and, and understand that how they view that. You know, I've, I've had a lot of conversations this week actually about public golf and in, in America and just kind of its, um, its place and, and some of the th- different things that are going on. And one topic I, it's just on my mind. I wanted to ask you about, it can be a little touchy in the golf industry and that's pace of play. You know, when mm-hmm. you have facilities where all abilities and all people are welcome, there is sometimes uh, opens the door for, you know, log jams of, of folks that aren't, aren't keeping up to, you know, a, a standard of, of a pace that's been set, whether we like it or not in our game, you know, it's, it's there and, and it can disgruntle customers uh, pretty quickly, even though a lot of times it's just perception. In my opinion, it's not, it's not that they're actually playing that slow it's perception, but I, I want to know for a facility like you guys, 72 holes of public golf, how do you approach pace of play? What are the, the controls you feel like you can put in place to assist with that and make sure everyone has a good time? Because, you know, I, I've, I've been at the places where they're with their stopwatches, you know, yelling at everybody out of position. And that's no fun either. It might, maybe it helps. I, I don't know. I'd argue it doesn't, but uh, it, maybe it helps. But I'm curious in your position, you've been a lot of different places um, many public golf facilities. What have you seen work in the pace of play uh, challenge? Well, it's a, I mean, it's a, it is a common question. It's one that I've never been one of those real diehard advocates for, for a super aggressive um, policy of, of pace of play. It's certainly if it becomes a, an issue, it's something that needs to be attacked. I think technology is going to be the answer for us. I mean, we already have a cart tracking system. Looks on, you look on a screen if the card is red, it means they've fallen behind. You have a chance to go out and attack that issue. It shows yellow. That means you begin you have the beginning of a problem. Um, but I think the way that we used to do it here at Cockhill before I came here is we had we had sixty or seventy rangers, and you know, and there were guys driving all over the place um, and looking for golf balls. You know how it is with ranger program. It's tough to it's tough to manage that stuff. Um, and I just didn't feel like it was the most efficient way to deal with the problem. And but I think technology is going to help. 
I also has this recent situation with the single rider cars and all that stuff has made me rethink a little bit about whether it's, it's worth to, you know, go at, uh, look at the intervals and, and stay at a little longer interval and, and maybe you're going to increase the prices to where you're as a business, you're still okay with the amount of dollars you can put in for every hour. Um, and try to, to, to set it up, set yourself up for success instead of failure from that end. I'm not saying we're going to do that, but it's, but it's made me rethink that a little bit. Are there some systematic ways we can do? Um, and some of them might, and might affect pricing, but I think in particular with the generation that's younger than me, um, I think, and I don't want to speak for, for anybody's generation, but I just feel like that time situation is more, even more critical. Like I, I only have this much time and I got to get out there and play and I don't want to take any longer. And, and I, I think that's going to be a big deal for golf. Yep. I, I hear it a lot. And uh, interesting to hear you, you mention intervals. I, I think there's uh, other facilities. I know there's other facilities that have actually come to that conclusion. Uh, the one, one facility in particular is charging uh, $25 extra. Um, not dynamic. I think they're just flat pricing, but uh, they're going to 15 minute intervals. But at the end of the day, they actually net out in the same place. Um, but for right. them, it, it came down to the experience and they realized, wow, people aren't, aren't on edge. <laughs> you know, people are, are moving along the golf course a little easier. It, it just fascinates me. It's something I, I probably have thought of uh, a little too often. <laughs> well, now here's a great story in, in uh, historical story is Joe Jemsic used to do five minute tee times and, uh, and, and used to double book with five minute tee times, you know, so, cause his, his belief was get their money, get them in the, get, get them on the golf course, you know, and, and let everything else, let, let everything else play out. Well, you know, I worked for a course at a hotel one time that overbooked and, you know, the, the people who got overbooked and got what we call walk to a different hotel were never very happy. I didn't make them very happy. So, you know, it's, I think there's more of these things that are going to be looked at like intervals and, and how, how people get around the golf course and um, that, you know, that may, that may change in the next few years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to talk to you about the, uh, the junior programs out there. Cause I think, you know, from what I've seen in, in Chicagoland, you guys uh, are at the forefront of leading the way there. I mean, that range every time I'm out is just packed with kids uh, who you can tell are competing at a high level, kids who are just picking up, probably making their first swings. Um, t- tell me a little bit about what you guys do for junior golf and some of the new programs you put in place. Yeah, I kind of explained it as the trifecta plus one out here. So we've got four what I would consider main main programs, which a lot of golf courses don't have four, obviously. Uh, we, we are uh, probably one of the premier PGA Junior Golf League facilities with a number of players here. Uh, that's, most of these programs are run by our independent contractor instruction staff. Uh, we, have, we have great instructors here. We have a past. Uh, we have the number one teacher in the state of Illinois for Golf Digest, uh, Kevin Weeks. We have a past PGA professional of the year. Carol Rhodes, um, and we have a couple other really good uh, instructors here. But the PGA Junior Golf League is awesome. We have First Tee plays out here as well. Um, we also have on our end, on the Cog Hill end, where we actually do these, a youth on course is a big program for us where the kids can play for $5. And they, there's specified times they can come out, and they literally can play 18 holes of golf at Cog Hill for 5 bucks. Um, and then and we also have Family Golf, which allows – I could bring my child out. I have to play from the forward tees with them that are, that we have set up out here specifically and have, has its own scorecard and you can play the golf course with them. Great way to teach 
uh, little kids and young golfers a way to play. So there's just, uh, you know, to me, uh, once again, I, I did not start any of those programs, so I can't take credit for it. But I'm, I'm amazed and really pleased with what, uh, when, when the gems say they want to grow the game and they want to put junior uh, golf clubs in junior hand, juniors' hands, they put their money where their mouth is. There's no doubt about it. It just seems uh, part, again, I think of the, the, the culture of a place and uh, so many other golf clubs, golf courses have, I think, Coghill to thank for their existing membership. <laughs> I mean, I know I do. For, for new club members, I, I, I could name probably 10 to 15 of our folks who said they got their start, you know, hitting a ball on Coghill's range. So that's, uh, right. I guess it's a big thank you to the Gemsick family for that. Yeah, I haven't even gotten to the range part of it because that's I think that's a huge part of how you teach people to play golf. And with the top tracer and the you've got something on your you've got the app on your phone, you can watch your stats, you can do all that stuff that every that every kid's really interested in nowadays. Um, I think those are those are things that really enhance the game for them as well. The the top tracer, I haven't seen your guys' top tracer setup. I believe you're the first in Illinois, right? Or to have an outdoor yeah, there was another one that we thought was first, but they actually had had approved to get it and then hadn't installed it. So we're the first outdoor. Miss Wood here locally has a dome, and I think they were looking at doing it outdoors at one point. But um, I just felt like when we looked at it again right as I came last year that the time was right for us to to, to get that done and be the first ones. And uh, we have covered heated bays uh, for the 21 top tracer bays. So uh, but there, you know, in the future, we may look to do some expansion. It's been really, really successful. It, it is um, almost like sorcery when you actually see it because I, I, I don't know where the cameras are. I, I tried to figure it out, but these numbers, <laughs> I mean, it's just like what you see the guys on tour with, you know, their shot link and everything. It, it gets sent right back to you. And, I, and I, what I love about the Top Tracer versus um, the traditional Top Golf is that, you know, people that are a bit more intent about their golf and, and want to uh, really improve, get a kick out of uh, seeing those numbers and seeing what their launch angle is and seeing what their spin rates are. But then the beginners are playing, you know, all the, the silly games. They might enjoy those same numbers, right. but they're playing all those fun little games. And uh, I just think it's, it's such a cool tool that I never would have thought of. Yeah, I see, I see groups of 20-some guys out, you know, they're, they're, they're in their 20s. And they, they actually are playing a virtual game of golf against each other on the range, you know. And so I, I think to me that, you know, and you can see they're kind of hooping it up and, and talk, you know, it's competitive. And, and to me, any way like that that we can engage people in the golf, you know, I think in the past we've all been like, well, that's going to hurt. Those guys won't be playing golf. Well, you know, I, I don't know. I don't think that's the way for us to think. I may be a little different for guys my age that, that anything that engages them in the game uh, that uses a golf club and a ball. I don't think Frisbee golf does it or, or, or foot golf or myself personally, but uh, anything that uses a club and a ball is, is probably good for us in the long run. Between top tracer and the sub air system on dubs dread, I got to imagine you guys are the only facility that has both of those. Yeah, maybe. I mean, right now there's, there's uh, I'm sure there are facilities like Aaron Hills has, uh, has top tracer now. So the, there's another one in Wisconsin, at least I'm sure they have sub air. I don't know for sure, but I'd be willing to bet they do. But um, so, yeah, there's not many of them though. And I think that, like I said, uh, I, that was what was exciting to me about when we thought this might happen for us to come to Cog Hill is that I knew the Jemsic name. I knew that it was kind of the Mecca of public golf in the Midwest. 
And to me, that was exciting. It's, it's been a lot of fun. Could have done without the COVID stuff, but otherwise it's still been fun. <laughs> I, I want to I hear a little bit about your background, Troy. So I, I don't really know fully where you, you, you've been. So maybe walk us through, you know, where did you get your start in the golf industry and, and where did you learn the game? I mean, I learned a game in Central Indiana. I was, was uh, introduced to me by a friend of my father's, and uh, I was loved baseball. Like most kids in the in the Midwest, you have to choose between golf and baseball. And I still, you know, I still love baseball, and I love. Uh, too bad I had to make that choice, but did choose golf, and ended up playing golf at Butler University uh, back in the '80s, and uh, decided to instead of going on to further education after my four years, I decided to get a golf business. Thought if I didn't try this now. Um, that I, I would kick myself later. So I got a job at Ennisbrook uh, in Florida, where they have a, a tour event now, um, and got a job as a bag boy. Let's be honest about it. It was not a, it was not a glamorous job coming out of college, but uh, but uh, became a head golf professional after that, and uh, decided to move back to the Midwest after my Florida time, and and um, have been uh, enjoyed the golf business very much. I went from a head pro to a general manager along the way because I love the business side as well. And I, then there were so many conversations as a head pro that I felt like I wasn't a part of. And as a general manager, you're, you're, if you're in the right place, you're part of all those conversations and making business decisions and, 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 uh, and the people, if you're not a general manager or if you're a general manager, you don't like dealing with the people, you're definitely in the the wrong people. And that's just not just customers, but staff and personnel and ownership. Um, so I made the right decision there. Uh, and that, that was my background. And I, um, been a PGA professional since uh, uh, 1992, and love that organization as well. And uh, always try to try to follow things that are going on in the golf industry. It's something that um, not the only thing I'm passionate about, but I do love it a lot. When I was looking at where you've been, uh, I'm probably a little geekier than most. So I, there was a few places <laughs> that that I wanted to ask you about. Um, I think one of Good. your first professional jobs was at the Grand Hotel in Mackinac Island. And now I was, <laughs> I couldn't help when I was there a couple of summers ago, right before I proposed to my wife, I couldn't help but notice that I'm on an island that didn't allow cars and I'm walking by a golf course that allowed carts. <laughs> I felt like that was yeah. hypocrisy at its worst. <laughs> yeah. And I happen to know that, you know, they have to have permits for each one of those vehicles. Um, and then, and then it was like a per- it was like a parade up there when we brought them in on the on the the uh, boat in the spring, and and it had to have special drivers so they wouldn't take it off and drive around the car around the island or anything. Um, so we did have carts, and I was at the nine hole course at the Grand Hotel, um, and then after I left, they they purchased another nine hole course up at the top of the island. But the but the real gem there is, in my opinion, is is a course called Wawashkamo, uh, and it's a nine hole built in eighteen ninety nine. You can only walk it. I don't know if they have carts and it's a link style course. And it is like you were somewhere. I mean, you get moved to Scotland in the middle of an Island in Michigan and it is just a cool place. So uh, my wife, we got married and she came and worked for two years during the summer when I was there. Uh, I worked for one before we were married and we still go back because we love the place. As you know, it's a, yeah, if, as long as you're not allergic to horses or uh, the stuff that, ha- that periodically comes out, comes out of them, um, you, is that and fudge is what you always smell, but it's an awesome place. 
Yeah, I can make sure stay closer to the fudge part than than uh, the horses. <laughs> but that that eighteen ninety nine golf course, I I did it. It caught my eye. I, I've always meant to research a little bit about it. But yeah, that's that, that's so unique. I, I that's a one that most people wouldn't probably think of to go visit. Is it is it public? Do they take tea times? It is. It is public. They have some memberships, and mostly just people who have residences on the island. Um, but the one feature there is there's a fairy ring green there that literally has that berm that's around the green all the way around, but then a little opening in the front where you can walk through and it's a par three. And it's just, I mean, there's just some cool looking stuff like that. It's uh, um, it has Mackinac is a special place in our heart for sure. Um, and we try to try to make it back there every couple of summers or so. Uh, the other one that you probably don't get asked about as much, but I want, I want to know about it is uh, Christmas Lake golf course down in uh, southern Indiana. So you were there for yeah. a, a period of time. Reason I'm asking is when we do our, our trips for New Club, we always go to kind of some bucket list type places. Um, and at the end of this summer, we're going to be down at French Lick playing the two courses there, the Die and the Ross. And then we're headed over to Victoria yep. National, uh, part of Dormy Network to play, you know, where they play the web.com tournament uh, championship. That is in the middle of both of them. And I'm, I was doing research for just some hidden gem, some, you know, we always like to make it a, a publicly accessible place that just is off the beaten track that maybe people aren't going to necessarily think to go see. Is Christmas Lake Golf Course worth it? Yeah, I mean, I think the pricing for what you get in the golf course is, is very reasonable. I don't know what, I can't speak to conditions now. I can't, obviously, back in the 90s when I was there, uh, we put Zoysia fairways in, so the, golf, the fairways were really good. People who aren't familiar with Zoysia, it's a little little different, but um, uh, but it's it's that layout's really good. It's not short. It's got some long and, and interesting golf holes on it. Um, so I mean, as far as between those places, which that, that you mentioned, which I played all of those, um, I think it would be a good choice. There's not a whole lot else. Uh, there's Sultan's Run in Jasper, which is also a really good choice, very close to where Santa Claus is. That's one you want to write down uh, and look at as well. It's got a really nice layout, and it was one of our competitors when I was there. Um, happen to know, still know the golf professional at Christmas Lake. Uh, he's, he came in when I left in 2000, and he's been there the entire time. Uh, and they'll take care of you really well. Um, and you mentioned French Lick and Dave Harner, the director of golf there, is somebody I did a podcast with not too long ago, and he and I are old friends. So um, so we loved their Southern Indiana time. It was great. It's, it was great. And, and talk about elevation change. That's that doesn't look like the rest of Indiana. There's a lot of hilly golf courses down there. And, and, and the, you know, the golfers who are used to playing uh, somewhat flatter venues will really like it. Pretty similar to Cog Hill in that regard where you're driving mm -hmm. and, you know, you see kind of just flat. And then all of a sudden there's these hills that they built golf courses on. That, that was my experience down there too. Yeah, number 11, I always tell people that's your selfie spot. You know, go to, to the back of the number 11 green on Dubs and you look out towards uh, Lamont in that area and it looks like North Carolina. All those trees and all that area is below you. And it's, it's very different looking for this, this part of the country for sure. Yeah, yeah, that is, uh, if you're not, you know, completely exhausted from marching up the, the bunker faces, <laughs> hopefully you got time to take a little deep breath and take a selfie. But <laughs> no, that is, that is one of the right, Exactly. That's one of the best spots in, in Illinois. It's, it's so true. Um, you know, as I was doing a little uh, research, there, there's just some history on, on COG that I found interesting. Um, all the way back to when it opened. I love that 
they used to take, you know, you were talking about dynamic pricing and using the technology of the day to think that Cog Hill, you had to go to a boss, the Boston store in downtown Chicago to place your reservation for the golf course. Um, back in 1927 or whatever it was that that really was cool to me and then uh i I read that folks would then hop on the um what was it the joliet electric uh streetcar so they had a streetcar that took you from downtown chicago to lamont do you think is that in the budget can we get that streetcar back for us uh, city dwellers yeah we're already actually working on that that was one of our future plans for (laughs) for 2021 (laughs) Good. Yeah. Except no, now, so it's, it's now it's a light fun. rail. It's not, it's not electric. It's a light rail. Yeah. We need the speed rail definitely. But yeah, so I've heard those two stories, strangely enough, as you imagine, Franken tells me a lot of stories, but the one, you know, also the Cog Hills and I always tell people there actually are Cog Hills, right? They're the names all together and they, and they sold this golf course uh, back and back to Joe, Joe Jamsick in the fifties. And then they went over and, and got Silver Lake um, country club or Silver Lake golf course. So, and I've, I recently met John and Bert Coghill, which was the, I think of the second generation of that, of that family in, in golf. And so it's just, yeah, there's just some great stories. I, I love, I always tell people, I love the Chicago outfit stories, you know, the, uh, the, the mafia mob stories and, and Frank uh, has, has some of those as well. So, you know, to me, those were some of those guys back in the day, they played golf and they were out here and it was just a, you know, it was a different time. That's for sure. But I, I love uh, he cannot bore me with stories. That's for sure. Yeah. I'm sure he's got plenty of stories with all the Unbelievable. places yeah. and people he knows in the game. But I, I, I think one thing our golf society really uh, attaches to is history of places. And it's something that, um, you know, Cog Hill from day one, July 4th, 1927 was a public facility and they were so committed to that. Um, we, I just think it's, it's great. We're excited to come down, play some matches and, uh, you know, for our members who haven't been in a while, we want, we want to go see the places that, you know, they might remember from um, when they were kids and, and just have a great day. So thanks for all you do. We're, we're looking forward to it. Now, I th- I, when you mentioned the idea to begin with, I, I obviously knew here, but I, I didn't know about your organization. But when you talked about it, it's just a way for guys to get together and play golf and do, have some camaraderie and, and play, you know, different golf courses. And, you know, to me, I think that sounds to me like it's definitely, in the wheelhouse of, of enough variety for people to play and some people to play golf with and, and be a little competitive but not get too grindy about it. And, uh, you know, I think that, to me, that really appealed to me. So I wish you guys all success. There's a lot of places to choose from. We appreciate you uh, coming to COG in, in, in uh, July. We're, lo- we're looking forward to it. Yeah, we can't wait. And uh, a couple of the other Gemstick properties too. It's uh, it's Silver Lake and uh, Pine Meadows too. I I never well, actually, really actually yeah Pine Meadow we um we don't own it but we manage that for, manage have, have for quite a while yeah um and very I haven't played it yet but I've been up there it looks great it looks like there's a lot of really pretty golf holes there their super their new superintendent is doing a wonderful job too good good I will pass that along I, I see him every once in a while so and then um. You know, they have a place in, in Noonan, Georgia, Summer Grove uh, in Georgia that they own. Um, they, they built that golf course and they've owned that course for a while. Um, so, and then the gym, the other side, Frank's sister's family owns and operates St. Andrews uh, here in, in West Chicago. So a lot of connections. It's hard to, you know, it's, you can't get too ver- very far away from somebody who has a connection to the gym six. That's for sure. <laughs> as, as is the game of golf and how it should be. Well, Troy, thanks for giving us some time this morning. It was really cool getting to know you and chatting a little bit. 
Uh, and thanks for all you do for, for both Cog Hill, Chicago land and the game of golf. No, I appreciate it. Thanks for the time. Enjoyed talking. As I said before, anytime somebody wants to talk about golf, I'm, I'm happy to do that. So nice to do that with you today, Matt. Yep. Take care.